Welcome, everybody. Week two of Iris. Thanks for being here and uh, stepping up. I asked everyone to come back, and we're going to be going through this whole thing until the 22nd of August, and we're looking at God's view of the church as it relates to ethnicity and people groups and all nations and how God's view of the church and who is supposed to be at his table in his church, in his community, um, is wider than what we may see in the lives that we live and that all of us have room for growth and that our communities have room for growth, that we need to see the church and see the people the way that God sees the people. And it, of course, it shouldn't be a big surprise or um, it shouldn't be, uh, the notion shouldn't be challenging to digest or believe in that God sees things differently than we do. That he, all-knowing, infinite creator of the world we are made by him so we're made he's never been made he's always been always will be and he made us in his likeness and of course there's room for growth like it should be that should be understood if we believe in a god an all-powerful god and so there is room for growth there's tons of room for growth there's tons of of growth that we have to go through that we have to learn more we have to understand more even if there wasn't some crazy sin death problem where we fall short of God's original design and we need salvation and we were kind of his beings as he originally intended us to be even if that were true right now there would still be tons of room for growth like he's God and we're not so there's tons and uh, sin and brokenness has blinded our eyes it's made us so that we can't see things the way that God wants them to be seen and therefore we don't do things the way that God wants them to be done and therefore our communities don't look and act like the way God originally designed and so this is an area of growth for our church and for the community. And I've been thankful for some of you who have already come up to me after last week and told me how God is kind of doing something with what I've said in this series already in your life. I had someone come up to me um, and say, it was a very amazing moment of vulnerability, a woman at our church who is in charge of giving certifications for like postgraduate, um, basically a, a postgraduate type of work. Um, and they have people that apply and the people that apply have, you know, different languages and different nationalities. And she told me that she didn't realize until last week's uh, sermon that she has a judgment that she makes against people who are applying for this certification who against people who don't look like her in color and who don't speak the language. And she shared with me in, in, a, in a wonderful moment of vulnerability, which was really a moment of strength and a moment of a, accountability, just, just kind of came up to me and said, I realize like something's going on, like in my heart. Like I have a little bit of a problem with those people that don't look like me and don't necessarily, you know, talk like me. And so I appreciate that type of sensitivity. And like I said last week, if you missed it, no one in here is probably going to disagree with what I'm going to be sharing and leading our church through ideologically. Like you're not going to have some, some part of you that says, oh, diversity is not good, and oh, inclusion is not good, and oh, ethnicity and, and a plurality of that isn't good. Of course you, you think that. You, you all think that. Like we, we think that way. But I really believe that there's tons of room for growth in how we live and who is at our, our actual table. And, and one of the things I'm going to be doing is for the rest of the series, I'm going to have this here. And this is not a metaphor. I mean, I might use a couple little metaphors with it. But it's really not designed to be a metaphor. This is a picture 
And this is the reality of our tables, our families, and who is sitting at them. And who does God see at our kitchen table? Who's really supposed to be there? What does it take to have what God sees become what we see in our lives every single day? And diversity um, is actually a result of discipleship. Real discipleship should result in diversity. What do I mean? Discipleship is this word that we use when we talk about being a follower of someone. Right? So we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. The Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of me, which means go make people who know that I'm king and learn about me and receive my gift of salvation and then look at my life and the gift I give them in salvation and watch their lives be transformed into me, into my likeness, into what it means to be the kind of humans that I originally designed them to be. And so discipleship is the process of staying proximate to the person that you're following so that you can emulate them, learn from them, and be transformed into their likeness. And so when we think about discipleship, there's lots of categories, right, that we, we say that this is a category that we need. We need, to, we need to learn the scripture. So we're going to learn the scripture. We're going to study the history of God. Maybe we get into some specific things, like we need to learn how to speak and use our mouths, like better. Like we can't, you know, there's power in, in what we say. And I've done entire series on discipling people to learn, to have their, you know, their tongue seasoned with salt, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, that words create worlds, whatever. We, we talk about relationships and how we're supposed to maybe be in better marital relationships or friendship relationships and how we're supposed to do conflict, right? There's a discipleship area where we, we learn to be more like Christ. One big one in the church is tithing, right? What we do with our finances, it's, it's probably... Uh, the, the greatest draw to really serve money and make money our God. And so we have to be discipled into the image of Christ and make Jesus our king and not money our king. So that takes discipleship. Well, one of the areas that is missed, and, and, and maybe it's talked about, but it's missed a lot because it's not manifested in the church is the area of discipleship. And so this is not a topic that, you know, you do one series on, and then everybody changes. You know, like even when we did the, the first series in this church, when we were building this building, we did this generosity initiative. And it was months and months and meetings after meetings of trying to get people to conform to trusting God with their finances in a real way. And still years and years, people are still wrestling through that. And what does it mean to tithe? And what does it mean to be generous? It's a discipleship issue. But the results and the fruit of that discipleship, um, you're sitting in them. And so when we talk about diversity, what we need to start to see is room for growth. We need to have our eyes open. We need to look at our communities. We need to, to be like this person that came up to me and said, God did something to me. And we need to, we need to you know, be honest with ourselves and not get defensive. And if we are getting defensive, ask why. Run through the process of our judgments. Look at our lives. And stop looking at their lives next to you and everybody else and look at your life, look at your table, and look at God's heart and say, does my life match God's heart in this area? 
And that's what we're doing in this series. It's a discipleship thing. It's going to be, it needs to be constantly taught. And in fact, it's not just something that, that actually will probably manifest or like your world won't necessarily change until you have an experience. So it might not just be the learning, right? You might actually have to have something happen where your disposition towards people who don't look like you, talk like you, sound like you, changes. And because of that, you feel something new in you and your life actually starts to change. I talked about this last week. The gospel is not just for us to get saved so we can go to heaven when we die. The gospel is so that God saves us so that we can bring heaven to earth today and tomorrow. And we love that. That is the call. We love that. Even that kind of enhanced, uh, kind of growing and evolutionary idea of it's more than just that. It's this now as we grow. We love that. But when we take it to the next level, what does it look like? It is my conviction based upon what I'm going to show you today. That until our dinner tables have people with different color skin at them, the gospel has not fully permeated our lives. Not a metaphor. Not like, I love all people. Like, I have people at my home. You don't know how to have people at your house and invite people over for dinner? I can't help you. What I can help you with is just to be a mirror that takes us and reflects it and looks at this. Because this is the heart of God. In a narrative story, the scriptures. And last week I touched on this and opened up this series and you need to go back and listen to it if you're if you didn't you, you you got to because something's happening in this room after the after 2 weeks the first service has had two services things are changing people are changing people's hearts are moving so you got to be in on this or you're going to miss out on what God is doing and we said this last week the gospel isn't just for every nation to hear but to bring every nation near the gospel is not just for us to go out to them and go over to there and go over to there and tell them the gospel is for us, for us to go and to say, oh, come on over. And it, doesn't, it hasn't become real until that person is really sitting with you. Like what I mean is God's heart isn't full. Like if God is our father and we're sitting at his table, his heart is full when all of his children are together. And the gospel was the message and the mission. What was the mission? Just a message? No, the mission was to transform humanity. It's a mission. What's the mission? To bring everybody back together. Cain killed Abel. It's been the us's and them's. And God's like, no, I don't want that. Brothers fighting against each other. The us's and them, the borders, the nate. No, I want all of my people, every one of them, are included. And so that passage that we looked at, Matthew 28, that's, that's the Great Commission. That's Jesus standing with his disciples and saying, okay, I'm the king. Let me put it back up there again. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That, that's, that's him saying, I'm the king. That's like him using earth language to say, like, I'm the king. I'm in charge of it all. I created it all. It's all been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all 
nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the whole and of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I want to do is I want to show you, and I want to look at with you what the disciples heard when Jesus said this. Because sometimes when we read the scriptures, we hear what what our context lets us hear, and. The name of the game, like the crux, the cardinal reality in church world, in our religious and faith lives, is leadership's interpretation of the scripture. It's the hinge. The word cardinal means hinge. It's the hinge that the door swings on. So whatever way we go, it's because your pastor, your leader, your faith tradition has interpreted the scriptures and the, the, the macro level of what they say and the different pieces in a specific way as to manifest them into the world that you live in. So what the, what the leaders think is what they teach and then this is the way we all go. And that's why it's such a big deal. Because there are people that have interpreted this book lots of different ways and lots of different times. And I can't stand here and tell you that I'm an expert in interpreting them, but I have done a lot of strenuous activity and searching to find the people that know the best so I can learn as close as possible what this really means in our lives. And so in order to understand the Great Commission, Jesus stands up, I have all authority, go and make disciples. Like we can't just hear it as we hear it because we all heard that growing up and it didn't result in God's heart. Woo! What does that mean? It means we missed parts. It means you skim over the nations part. Go make disciples of all nations. Oh, yeah, tell them all. Mission week. Mission week. We're going to go on a mission trip. We're going to go over there. That's, that's, that's like part one. That's good. You got to go. But it's supposed to change radically the way our communities look, feel, act, families. It's, it's bigger than just go. It's bring. How did they get there? What did they hear? This interpretation piece is a huge part of what looking at the New Testament is all about. It's very hard to do. Because when you read something, you may not hear all the important pieces. Like if my sister came to me and said, hey, Joel, go tell your brother that grandma's coming over this weekend. You might go, oh, grandma's going to, grandma's coming over her house that's what you hear but what it means in the family might mean when grandma comes over we all go to dad's house and we all buy different things you bring the drinks you bring the ham you bring the cake you bring whatever and th th there's a big party and it always happens in that room and then it moves to that room and they always do those things because you know a lot more about what that means so that's what part of reading the scriptures is what were they thinking what were they hearing what were they missing? And what you'll find is that there are things that they get that we don't. And there are things that, that we got and they got as well. And there are things that they didn't get. Like they didn't get it all. And so there's some comfort in knowing like, oh, they heard the message and they still miss some things. We miss some. I think we miss more than they did. And we can grow learning, on, learning about what they missed. So when you... When, when this all happened, there is a direct connection for the nation of Israel to the person of Abraham. When Jesus says, 
all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. Immediately, the disciples have this background of the nation of Israel, how it started, its origins. And the person who's kind of the father of their entire nation is Father Abraham, right? You grow up in church, Father Abraham, had any sons? You guys know the song? Many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right arm, whatever, right? Like, that, that's the thing. So, so actually, when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, for um, these disciple or disciples of Jesus, they jump to a connection to nations, and it takes them all the way back to Abraham. And on top of that, the authors of the New Testament are wanting the readers of the New Testament to understand that the people hearing Jesus' command connects it all the way back to Abraham. The name Abraham is mentioned in the first book, in the first chapter of the New Testament. It, it, the, the last, Matthew 1, 1, ends with the word Abraham. The author that spent all this time with Jesus, wants anyone that's gonna look at what Jesus says and hear what Jesus says to go all the way back to Abraham. So basically, if you're reading it for the first time and you open up to the New Testament, and you go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I'll start the New Testament, Matthew 1, it says, this happened and this happened because of King David and because of Father Abraham. And you'd have to go like this. Well, do I wanna know what that means or should I just keep going? And the Jews who grew up in synagogue, they had a deep meaning that meant something to them. And it doesn't just stop there. Uh, half of the New Testament letters that were written to make sure that the people who were involved in the movement of the church include the name Abraham and stories about Abraham 71 times, half. So you cannot look into the church, you cannot look at what the church is supposed to be without looking at the person of Abraham. And there's a bunch of pieces of the life of Abraham that tie this all together. But there's one in particular that brings us to Jesus's um, commission, go and make disciples of all nations. There's one in particular that really would rise to the top if you were standing on this mountain with Jesus and he said, now you go make disciples of all nations. Jesus tells them and their mind goes back into their hermeneutics and their understanding of the world that they're living in. When God called Abraham, he called him out of nowhere. Basically, he was like, it was at the time probably Babylon, Ur of Chaldeans, where Babylon ended up being. There's a no one from nowhere. He called Abram and he said to him, I'm gonna make you great. I'm gonna make you a kingdom. There were kingdoms. He's like, I'm gonna, you don't have a family. You don't have a background. You don't have a history. I'm basically just on my own prowess because I'm God. Boom, I'm gonna make you a king. I'm gonna make you powerful. I'm gonna make you mighty. And I'm gonna make you a, like an exalted father. I'm going to give you offspring and from your offspring you are going to bless the entire world now abram is sitting there listening to this and it's really funny because his name is abram which means exalted father and he doesn't have any kids so he's thinking how am i i'm not even a father well, then God, after making a promise to him to basically fulfill all of his promises, regardless of whether or not Abraham holds up his end of the bargain, God has this moment where he changes Abraham's name to Abraham, Abram to Abraham. His name was Abram, and he changes his name. This is what it says in Genesis 17, 3 through 5. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Again, 
no kids, can't have kids. He's old, can't have kids. Well, how am I a father? My name means father. He's born with the name Abram. He's like, I'm an exalted father and I can't have any kids. Like, it's very ironic. So basically, this is all God going, I got big plans. When I got big plans, it doesn't matter who's involved. I do big things through all kinds of people. You have a name. It's going to mean something. It doesn't mean it now, but it will because of God and you're not. Don't worry about it. So it's like this whole, like, really intense interaction that's happening in the scriptures. He's like, you're going to be a father of many nations. He's like, ha, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. So the name Abram means exalted father. When he adds this Abraham part to it, it means the exalted father of a multitude of nations. So he doesn't have any kids. He can't even have a nation. How do you have a nation if you don't have a kid? You can't have your nation. He's like, I'd love to have just a nation. Wouldn't that be great to just have a whole nation? That'd be great. He's like, I'd love to be Abram and be an exalted father and just have some kids and maybe have a nation. God comes to him and says, oh, it's way bigger than that. You're going to be a, a father and you're going to have children. And that, that offspring that you have, that's going to bless the entire world. And you are going to be the father, not just of your nation. You are going to be the father of a multitude of nations, the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham is supposed to be the father of a multitude of nations. Jesus stands up with all of his disciples. They know about Abram, they know about Abraham. He says, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. What do they hear? You see, when the disciples heard this in Matthew 28, they were basically deputized. They were given that badge. It's your job to do the thing that I said I would do when I started you as an entire nation. It's your job. You're the ones. You're going to carry forth the mission. You're going to go to the nations. You're the ones. They knew when they heard this. They were speaking God's word because what Jesus was saying was jiving with the name of Abraham. And it was their job to go and create the expanded family of Abraham. So they felt energized. They felt like, oh, this is going to happen. They didn't just have the story of Genesis and creation and, of course, the story of Moses and of the kings. They had the story of their nation after they had not kept up their end of the bargain of honoring God, of worshiping God. The nation of Israel is a really tragic story in the sense that they didn't always do what God asked them to do, so they kept getting destroyed and taken away and put into exile, and they have this kind of tragic thing, and God's like, I'm going to stay with you even if you don't stay with me. That was the covenant he made with Abraham. I'm with you no matter what. That's my, that's my thing. I have an everlasting love. It's everlasting, so I'm with you. So they end up in exile, and then there's these prophets that are like, even though We've lost our town, even though our city has been split into two, even though people and, and, and generations have been taken away into other, like, nations to basically be, like, um, uh, transformed into other ethnicities and to, to have all their identity taken away, even though all that's happened. Isaiah says, I have a plan in the midst of all that, and it's connected to what I told you I would do originally with Abraham. In Isaiah 49, the prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah at the time Israel had split, he says this, and this is about Jesus because he's telling them that there's going to be a suffering servant who is the Messiah, and so this is about Jesus in Isaiah 49. He says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, talking about Jesus, 
to restore the tribes of Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Jacob's name turns to Israel. And bring back those of Israel I have kept. Is that too much, the suffering servant? Would you go and bring all the nation of Israel back together? Yes, he will. That's his job. Jesus is going to do that. I will also make you, what? A light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In the life of Jesus, there is a dramatic move to pull the house of Israel together, to pull Abraham's family, Abram, exalted father, to make his nation. And then in the same person, there is an extension to go and make that nation the father and the blessing to all the nations. That's what Jesus was going to come and do. He was going to come and create the arteries for that to flow into all the world. The last chapter and the last couple of verses of the book of Isaiah say this as it kind of gives this texture. And what I want you to do is I want you to think if you grew up as a Jewish boy and you learned in synagogue the, the books of Isaiah, you read, you heard these scriptures read aloud, and then after seeing Jesus and seeing the miracle, a sign of his resurrection, what this might sound like to you. And I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages. They will come and they will see my glory. I will set a sign among them and I will send some of those who survive to where? To the nations. And then he starts to name the nations. To Tarshish, to the Libyans, to the Lydians, famous as archers, interesting with the, the Olympics, to Tobal and Greece and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. And then what will they do? They'll proclaim it, right? They're going to go. They're going to go pro proclaim after the sign of Jesus. He rose from the dead. They're going to go and proclaim it to all the nations. And then what will they do? They will bring. They will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and wagons and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonial clean vessels, they, vessels, they will bring them. What's theologically imperative for the church is to just feel and know that the movement of Jesus, who you are here worshiping today, whom you love, whom you've placed your faith in, whom you are seeking out and asking questions about, the movement of Jesus has always been about all of us. Always. It's always been about everybody. It's always been about every nation. It's always been that way. So what does that mean? We agree with that, but we don't see it. What does that mean for our lives? It means that until the message of the gospel is fully kind of absorbed, transmitted into our souls, part of the way we breathe, think, we experience the gift of Christ, the salvation of Christ, 
to go before God, to know that he loves you, he forgives you, he wipes away your sin, and that justifies you and declares you righteous in a spiritual sense. Therefore, you can move into the world as a new creation, acting like the human that God created you to, to act like so that you can bring life and goodness and bounty and all these amazing things into the world. What an amazing story. When the cross, his sacrificial death, gets a hold of you and you, you look at it and you go, what in the world? He died for me in my place, his substitutionary atonement. When you understand Christus Victor, he beat all the enemy. He killed and destroyed death. He beat it because he rose from the dead. Whoa, he did that for me. What's supposed to happen is it's supposed to burst forth into how you see your dinner table. is supposed to move from here to here. It's, it's everybody. It's, it's all you want. You want the God of the world that we live in to bring everybody into that, that communion that I just described. Don't you? Of course you, but not just the people that look like you, the people that don't look like you. And the people that don't know your language, the people that you can't talk to because you don't even know how to talk to them, and the people that live in the other neighborhood, when the gospel gets a hold of you and it widens your view of God and you, it's supposed to change the way you see the world you live in. Not a metaphor. Not, hey, friends, bring people of a different color and race into your heart. Not pray for them. I don't want you to pray for them. I want you to feed them and bring them to your house. And then you can pray for the meal. They were deputized. This has always been about all of us. Now, there's some solace in this, in that the disciples heard this. They had all the background, which is limited background. You know, there's way more background. There's way more that pops off of the page just in those three sentences that Jesus says than I just showed you. Way more, that all ties it together even more tightly. As you look at the scriptures, you get closer, it gets tighter, it gets this. But even the disciples heard this, had the background, and didn't completely get it. So there's some solace in this. You see, what they understood is that God made a covenant with Abraham, which we talked about. And it was that through him, these many nations would be blessed and God would bring a savior and and, and, and that was part of God's promise. And then the nation of Israel ended up in slavery and then they, they got delivered from slavery through Moses and then God made a covenant with Moses where he gave them the law, the Mosaic covenant. And that was supposed to set the nation of Israel apart. And if they were gonna do all of those laws, you might read those and look at those and think, oh, that, that's weird and that's religious. Really what it was is in their context, something that would make them very holy and different and bright and would make their crops flourish and their relationships flourish, and that, that was literally, but they never actually do that, which is kind of the sad story, but it was this covenant that he made with them that then as Jesus shows up, the disciples think, and they get a misunderstanding, and half of the New Testament or more is dedicated to unraveling this, this challenge. They think for people to join the church, they have to become Jews. And so they miss it. So even Peter misses it. He's the one I talked about. He stops eating with Jews. Paul shows up and rebukes him, or eating with Gentiles. Paul shows up and rebukes him. 
There's a story in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit of God shows up on a special day, the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost, Penta 50, is 50 days after the first fruits, which was also Passover, which was when Jesus rose from the dead. So hang with me. Jesus raises from the dead on the day of first fruits. 50 days later, after that first fruits, the Holy Spirit shows up to the disciples in this miraculous event in the upper room. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit comes over people's heads and there's this flame of fire and they all can hear and understand different languages, but they're all Jews that have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate. They speak different languages. They're kind of scattered Jews that come from different places, but they're coming to their holy town, but they're all Jews. So it's like, oh, definitely the Holy Spirit, this church thing is for the Jews. Well, then a little bit later in the book of Acts chapter 10, God shows up in this miraculous way with the Holy Spirit in kind of a different fashion, and he shows up just as miraculously to Gentiles as he does the Jews, and the disciples are blown away. They're completely shocked. And it says this, it says this in Acts chapter 10, the circumcised believers, the Jewish people who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to Gentiles. And so in that movement, what God is saying is, no, 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 they don't all have to join the Mosaic Covenant. You guys didn't even totally fulfill that all the time. That was for you to be set apart as a nation. Now what's gonna set apart my people is the Holy Spirit of God in the midst of the gathering, the church. And the church is made up of Jew, Gentile, all, all nations. So what marks the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is what God sent to the disciples after Jesus to make sure that they understood the shocking revelation that God's family and kingdom now included the Jews, the Gentiles, males, females, free, unfree, all people. The Holy Spirit showed up to do that. So here's the deal. If you hear this message and something doesn't click, you're pushing back, you're, wor you're working through it. What does it look, what does it feel, how does it, I don't, I don't know. You need the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Spirit, you won't hear it. You won't, it rhymes, that, 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 mean, that means that God meant it, if it rhymes. If a pastor says something that rhymes, it means it's true. No, it's not true. Do you understand? On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, was the day of harvest. And it was also the day that the Jews, get this, celebrated Noah and the covenant God made with Noah. Raise your hand if you know the story of Noah. Noah's ark, just you know the story? After the ark, God makes a promise with, with Noah and says, now I'm going to bless all of humanity. And so what they're celebrating on the day that the Holy Spirit shows up is God's promise to bless all humanity on the earth for the rest of time. Everyone. The Holy Spirit shows up. Isn't it amazing that we still, today, we still need a supernatural move to do something 
in our hearts so that we can genuinely change the kind of people who are sitting around our dinner table? We haven't figured this out yet. Well, some of us have. A lot of us haven't. We're missing out on God's expansion of the gospel. It's not in his heart. We have room for growth. We need the spirit of the living God to do something in our lives. We can't fix the past. You cannot go back. We can't go to last year. You might sit there and go, I don't know why. Joel, it's not my fault I was born in this town, in this neighborhood with these people next to these people. It's not my fault. It's not. You can't fix that. Even if I said, that's your fault, fix it. You can't. Oh, it is all your fault. So you need to go back and fix all, all the past. You can't do it. You can make a new target. You can fix the future. It's not our job to change the past. It's our job to make history. It's our job to do something that looks different. That they write down and they go, this church at this time included people from all nations in a lot of places where they didn't. In, in an America, 400 years where church is still the segregated thing on Sunday, they made a difference. I don't know, we, I don't know if we can change the whole city of Columbus. Can we change this room? Can we change your table? It's not about going back, it's about going forward. It's about looking at God's heart for humanity and taking it into our lives and building relationships. Moving beyond. I was at kids camp and one of you came up to me and said, it was so, it was so nice. He said, brother, I love it when someone comes to me and says, brother. It's like funny, but it's also like nice because there's an understanding, right? We're like, we're brothers, man. Brother, your heart for this series, he says, really matters to me. He said, look around. Just look at all these families, look at all these people, it's so beautiful. He said, but we're missing out. You see, what, what happens when your iris opens to God's vision is you don't just see who's at your table. Because it's good, right? Like, you gotta have your table. You need to have your table. Like, that's important, your family. But what happens when, when God gets a hold of your heart is it's like, it's not just who's there, but some suddenly you have a feeling that someone's missing. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had like just like a loved one, like maybe someone passed away? And it's like, it doesn't feel the same. You see, what God is up to is getting his heart transplanted into ours. So that when we look at the table, we go, someone's missing. God made this beautiful world with all these beautiful people. He's an artist. He wants us to be together. He wants us to, to, to bring people together to show that we love each other. 
Oh, we love this in the church. You say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor. You call God a liar. Well, do you, can you prove you love your neighbor? Because of the way you think about him? Your neighbor is not the person that lives next door to you. You know that, right? Your neighbor is everybody on the earth that you don't know, that you don't have a relationship, that you could, that you could go there, you could. It's bigger than that. One of the reasons in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies, and then love your neighbor as yourself, is the goal was that your enemy would become your neighbor. Who's missing? The church has to do better. We have to build relationships. We have to have all ethnicities. We got to do the best we can. We can't say we love Jesus if we don't go after that. We can't say we're disciples if that's not part of our goal. Because it is written in and part of the heart of God since day one. So we're going to go on this journey together. Let's take a minute and let's pray. God, thank you so much. Father, help us to have a vision, to see, to see our dinner table, our house, our family room, our place, and new people in that place. God, help us to respond, help us to to see the world differently, help us to make your heart come to reality on this earth. We love you. We thank you for giving us such clear vision. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for being a part of this. I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're feeling a change. The earth is moving under our feet. It's going to be exciting. There's some fear. There's some, some things to be, it, it, it's, it's kind of anxiety ridden. I get it. But we're just going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving. We're going to aim at God's goal, what his heart is, and we're going to get there. And um, we have a movie night coming up this Friday for families. And this sound system is better than any of the ones in AMC. So it's going to be in this room. We're showing a movie. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a blast. And then we also would love to meet you if you're new to the church. And if you're comfortable and you want to, there's people in the, the bungalow, the glass room back here. You can walk back there. And we have team members that want to meet you and say hi to you, get to know you. And that's the way you're going to get connected to the church if you want to know more. Um, you can also just text the word hi to the number on the screen, and we'll get connected with you. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.